Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. Wow. All right. We are in Revelation, and uh, I'm watching that, and I'm going, the, the imagery in this book is really dense. There's like, there are so many things. If you watch that and you say, it sounds a little crazy, it's starting to sound crazier and crazier, I understand. <laughs> Uh, we actually only have one week left after this, and then you can say you've gone through the whole book of Revelation, which is really impressive because very few people can say that. Very few churches can say that, but we are one of the few. Um, what, what I would tell you is this. You talk in imagery all the time, okay? So uh, what John is doing there, um, the Apostle John, whenever he's saying he had this vision and he's giving imagery dragons and beasts and all these sorts of things, even, even imagery of fire, what he's doing is he's not saying to take this literally. He's using imagery that's tying back to the Old Testament for the encouragement of the, of the modern saints right there, the, the current saints, that they may persevere through the trials and tribulations. But it also speaks to us. Now, what's happened in the book of Revelation is it has been abused. I just, I just want you real quick by show of hands, I normally don't do this. If you've ever um, heard the scare tactic, if you ever heard the book of Revelation used to scare you into a deeper relationship with God, just raise your hand. Okay, my, my hand is up, by the way. I'm, not, I'm like saying, I, and in fact, I've, like, I've had the, oh no, what happened? Is everybody gone and I've left here moment, okay? When I was younger. So I just want to pause and say, if you've been someone that the book of Revelation has been abused and you go, I am so frustrated that I'm here right now. I want to calm your nerves. I want to say you speak in imagery too. When you look outside and you may say, maybe not, it depends on how old you are, you may say, it's raining cats and dogs outside, okay? If someone took that literal, they're going, okay, there's going to come a time, it's going to rain cats and dogs because this person had a prophecy. And you go, no, no, I just meant it's raining. Just people nowadays know what that means. Do you know how far removed we are from the text? We're pretty far removed from this text. If, uh, if I'm going on stage to do a play and you go, hey, break a leg, okay? And then 2,000 years from now, someone goes, they were mad at Preston. They told him to break a leg before his big performance. You weren't mad. You were wishing me good luck. You understand? We speak in imagery and idioms. And John was doing the same thing. He was. And in fact, one of the things that he's doing throughout this whole thing is he's triggering intentionally the Christians, triggering them and giving them imagery. And he's giving what, what a lot of people say kind of a heavenly perspective that the economies and the governments and the empires that abuse power, it's not just humans, there's evil power behind that. And that's why it's talked about that the dragon controls the beast and those sort of things. So I'm just, that's a quick catch up that if you're jumping in and, uh, and you're saying, I, I don't know what's going on. Well, what we look at Revelation says, we go, okay, all Jesus does is win. All he does is win. But the way he wins is not by killing the most people. It's by dying for the most people. In the end, the way that the person wins in the end is not because they have a stronger sword and a larger gun. It's because they've shed the most blood for their enemies. And he wins this way, okay? 
So that's a quick catch up, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 19. So if you have, um, there's a reading Bible app on your um, reading scripture app on your phone. You can get that. There's a Bible in the seat back front of you, and we're going to have it up here. So we are going to have a time where we say, let's, let's dive into this. So let me pray um, specifically for tonight's message. Father, we've said this before here, and I say this again. I pray that you would calm some storms that need to be calmed and you would cause some storms that need to be caused, that you would do this as a loving Father. Help us, God, help us to take one more step towards Jesus tonight. That's all. So all we ask is that we wouldn't stay stagnant, but we'd move forward. So Lord, thank you for everybody that's here. We will wrestle with you through the text, and I just pray over all of us, may we respond genuinely. We respond, God. Prep our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so in September, which is a month away, it is mine and Lisa's 10-year anniversary of being married, okay? Which uh, we have many more years to come, okay? But, I, but 10 years, it's 10 years. So we're really excited about that. Um, September 6th, at exactly 4, no, 11, no, I, you don't remember either? Oh, good. September 6th um, is our anniversary. Here's a picture of when we got married. It, it's a little dark on my face there, but you can see how young I look with the shaved face and how beautiful Lisa still looks. I Sometimes I look at my um, pictures of when I got married and I go, I, I used to look like I used to look way better. And then I try to shave my face and it's not in the face. Anyway, it's just age. So all that to say, uh, that I remember this day. I remember, um, I kind of remember our wedding. Like to, to be honest with you, I remember someone telling me this. When you get married, you won't at all remember the people that were at your wedding. And, and that's, that's true. Um, I kind of remember the wedding. If you guys have been, we have people who got married recently, Ryan and Christina, and uh, some of you are at their wedding. If you've been to any wedding at some point in your life, you've probably been to a wedding. Whether you're married or not, I just want you to think in your mind, what's a wedding like? When you go to a wedding, you're, you're actually captured in this very strange moment, okay? You're there because there's a proclamation being made. Um, the proclamation is this couple is wanting to commit and seal their love to one another in yeah, with witnesses around them, and they're wanting to say, I will be with you for the rest of the time. You're there in that moment. But, but what's so strange is it's almost as if the time before the wedding did matter. Don't, don't, it, it did matter. It was like really important. It's dating time, and it's engagement time, and it's getting to, it's arguing time, okay? It, it, that is normal, okay? Arguing time is normal. Sometimes when we do premarital counseling and someone, and we said, okay, let's talk about arguments and communication. They go, we don't argue. And we go, oh no. Like he just, come on, come on. Let's just go at it right now. Let's go in the living room. But it's normal. There's arguing time. There's happy time. There's all this stuff. And that's, that's important. And then, but after the wedding, it, it's like very different. It's very different because what you have is it's this lifelong commitment. And as you hang out with people that are married and if you're married yourself, you start to realize this is actually the new normal. This is, and so when you're attending a wedding and you're witnessing this, you are caught in a very strange moment. So much preparation is put into this, right? So much, I mean, people, people obsess 
sometimes over weddings and wedding dresses and what's going to go into it. And, and then an hour at the most. I mean, you have an hour of wedding, you are making everybody suffer. An hour at the most. And then you go on into the reception and then you go, oh, this is real life. This is the new normal. If you're married, you know this experience. If, you, if you've been married before but you're not married anymore, you know this experience. And if you have witnessed a marriage, you kind of know what it's like to be caught up in that moment. It, 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 for us, uh, what I'm saying is, I, when I think back, I actually have a hard time remembering, now follow me here, I have a hard time remembering what life was like without being married to Lisa. It's only 10 years, okay? That's not even, I mean, I, I've been a lot, alive much longer than I've been married, and, and I'm going, I, I have a hard time. I, I look at pictures in high school, and I go, I don't even really remember. I'm glad I'm not that person, and I don't remember that person very well. It's hard to look back after a commitment has been made. And it's not just marriage, by the way. It, it's like you think about if you've been in a job for a long time and you look back at pictures before the job and you go, I don't really remember what it was like. I don't know what it was like to life before this. Or maybe you moved to Denver and this is all new to you and you're like, I, this is new. There will come a time where you'll look back if you stay in Denver long enough and you're going to go, I don't, life was like kind of strange before Denver. I know it existed. You follow me? It's like you look back and you say, I, after you make a commitment, you look back and you go, I don't fully grasp what life was like then because it's so different now. But you know it had a part to play. When we read Revelation, what's happening is the culmination of history. It's, it's as if all of the people who have given God a chance and in giving him a chance, found him to be faithful and responded by saying, I'm really interested in this Jesus-looking God and following him. And they responded by saying, I, I want to be in commitment. It's like a dating phase. It's almost like Revelation is showing us this. And then there's tribulation, and then there's this wedding, this marriage supper, that it, it's as if in the face of eternity, Everything on earth was like, it, it's real, and it's right, and it's important. But it's a blip on the map compared to eternity. You follow me? This is why the wedding is used. Because afterwards, after weddings, the commitment is like, it, it, you look back and you go, I know that was real. But this has changed everything. Everything. And what the author of Revelation is doing is saying, it is like that. And you don't have to be someone who's been married to, to know this. Your relationship with Jesus, if you walk with Jesus, you go, everything's I don't think I can remember very much what it was like to feel the emotions and go through life without Jesus. And if, if you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you to try. Just try. Try to see what it would be like. See, once we make commitments and we live in those commitments— now, some commitments, by the way, some commitments, they don't work. This is part of what it is to live in a broken world. And I just want to be the first one to say, um, we all experience what it's like to have fractured commitments. So when we talk about the commitment of God to us, it's really hard to talk about it without suspicion, without emotion of, like, of, of our past and those sorts of things. But I would say this, 
the whole gist of this entire passage we're going to talk about is very much the people saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's as if they're saying, finally, finally, God is to be praised. It is God's faithfulness who's befriended us. And in our unfaithfulness, when we fracture the covenant, he has not left us. And it's like this wedding. It's this marriage going into eternity and we participate in the victory of God. And the way the scripture paints it is as if what we do here is important, but the time with Christ is of so much joy that you're going to have, you would have to believe this in faith that when we are united with Christ, we will look back and go, I know that was real, but it was nothing compared to this. And this is the new normal. And he is faithful. These sorts of feelings that you have whenever you look back in your life. This is the way um, C.S. Lewis put it in The Final Battle. If you haven't read, read The Final Battle, I would encourage you to read it. It's the last book in the Narnia series. And it is actually when heaven and earth come together. And it is a beautiful masterpiece uh, of a book. This is what he says. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. you believe that? Can I read that one more time? If it helps you, just close your eyes and, and think about this. All their life, so think about this personally, all your life and all your adventures have only been the cover and title page. And at last, you're beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Essentially, he's saying the rule of death is at an end and the rule of life is about to begin. This is chapter one of the great story. We look back and say it's really important, but we look forward and say this is what I'm living for. Like this, this is the thing. So there's this sense in which we're being prepared for a wedding day, a celebration, a proclamation, all that. Um, and, and I want to be the first one to tell you what we all hope for in relationship. Okay, If we're going to talk in marriage, we're going to talk in wedding terms. Again, we, we do this because Revelation is here, and this is what Revelation does. If we're going to talk in these sorts of terms, let's talk about like what the ideal wedding would be like. The ideal marriage, okay? If you're, if, you're, if you're witnessing the ideal wedding, it would be one person deeply in love with another. Would you agree? Yes? I mean, I would hope you wouldn't mean like this person has secrets and this person doesn't know and who, who cares? It's just, no, no, no. One person are both people deeply in love with both people, okay? One person here, one person. They're deeply in love. Now, if we go deeper and we were to say, what does it mean to love? All those sorts of things. But then the, the scripture doesn't do that. The text does not, just say, does not just paint a picture for you. We have been included in the story, see. Those who have endured, been persecuted, those who would say they're followers of Jesus, you have all along been included in the story. What would the perfect ceremony be like and with who? And what we find is this, what we all desire is that those who know us best love us most, okay? That if you're talking about a wedding, you have one person that knows the other person best, no secrets, 
No secret. No skeletons in the closet. They just know them best. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And guess what? They love them more than the people that they put a front on for. You follow me? They love them more. The, those who love them or know them best love them most. And then the other person knows this person and loves them back. This is the ideal. So if we're going to talk heaven and, and we're going to try to talk in ideal terms and what it is for heaven and earth to meet and to be in like a wedding with God, it would be like that. That God knows you better than anybody knows you. Absolutely better. And he loves you more than anybody loves you. Okay? So let's talk about that. And let's talk about why that's really hard to accept. But in marriage terms, in wedding terms, I can't read this and say, all right, let's talk merely in how our lives and our relationships, no, no, we're going to say what would the perfect wedding be like, the perfect bride, the perfect groom, and when they come together, it would be like that. I, I don't know about you, but whenever I have someone who knows me like they know Preston Ulmer, they know my deepest, darkest secrets, and then they know my joys, right? They know my pain. When they know all that and they love me, whew, that's a good person, okay? When they love me, love me, love me, right? When, when Lisa learns more and more about me, even at 10 years, uh, as she learns more and more about me and, and her response is love, I go, this is like better than anything I've imagined. And you know that to be true with your friends, with your family, people who learn more and more about you, and they don't, they don't even skip a beat. Their love for you actually grows. And if you've participated in a broken marriage or a broken relationship, and they've learned more and more about you, and then they don't like you more and more, they love you less and less, I would say to you, I'm sorry that's ever happened to you. And I hope is that all of us can look to the future and say what Christ is doing and that we can trust his love and knowledge of us only grow. His love only grows um, as we participate in joy and in mistakes, okay? So this is what it means to be part of the wedding, the bride and the groom. Okay, let's read the scripture. This is Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. The, the whole first part, if you're like, why are we skipping 1 through 5? It's, we're, it's like shouting hallelujah, praise. And it is as if there's such excitement. In, in fact, it's so repetitive, it's trying to get across the excitement levels really high. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah, which by the way, hallelujah, this is the first time in the entire New Testament that this word is used. But in the Old Testament, it's used over 50 times. So you see what's happening is he's going all the Old Testament, and, and a lot of it in the Psalms, that the Old Testament, he's taking from the past and going, this is the fulfillment of the desires of the past. This is the fulfillment. And a lot of times when David would write in the Psalms, Hallelujah, or the psalmist would write, Hallelujah, what they're doing is they're looking forward to what would be considered Mount Zion or the place that God dwells. They're looking forward knowing that is where eternal praise is offered. That is where the highest accolades go to God. And he said, now is that time. Now is that time. So we've, we've kind of used this word often, but the, uh, you know, I don't know if you grew up in Christian homes, they go, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, which is good. That's good. That's not bad. But, but this word has been reserved 
until this time. Hallelujah, for the Lord, our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Can we go to the next one? For the wedding of the Lamb has come. The wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, let me just pause. Um, in a broken world, I read fine linen, bright and clean, and I go, well, I'm, I can't participate in that wedding. I'm not bright and clean. I don't have fine linen. I don't... If the, but then it was given to her, was given to her, was given to her. That Christ through his victory says, this is yours. This is yours. Your, all what's happened, may you experience the wholeness and completeness of where it is to walk in Jesus. This is given to you. Okay. Fine linen stand for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Let's keep going. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And what's, what's cool, the way this is written, is it's like we're participating in the wedding and we're going to, to the reception. It's like we are part of the party that's happening. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, because John is having this revelation, so John's saying, at these words, which for John would be like, hey, all all." All is right finally. I'm finally participating in the perfect union, in the perfect relationship. He knows me best, loves me most. I'm part of the wedding. And he's saying, I, I'm like part of this whole thing. And he's so stunned. See, before in Revelation, he's stunned and falls down. Now he falls in worship. He's falling in worship. And he sa it says, at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. The angel is saying, don't do this. Don't, don't worship me. I'm not, I'm not the one. I am merely another servant. Worship God for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Okay? So this whole, the, entire, the entirety of what we're going to talk about is this. What would it be like? If the future, if it says, when it says, this is the true word of God, if this was real. Now, here's what I would have to say. When we talk about the wedding that's going to take place in the future, those sorts of things, again, the imagery is powerful. But does that mean that we're going to be wearing dresses and walking down an aisle? And No, no, no. The imagery, the imagery is getting you to a place where you start to realize, okay, in order to have that sort of commitment to God, in order for it to be celebrated, in order for that, uh, he's got to really know me. He does. And in order for you to reciprocate the love, you've got to kind of know him too. Now, he would know you through and through, but then would you be able to know him through and through? Of course not. Of course not. I, I believe fully that even in eternity, we still learn about who God is. I, I believe that. I mean, I, I just think... The beauty of who God is is something to be adored and, and to worship him forever and ever is to give him absolute adoration. And we are just going to continue, continue to learn who is this God who's done this thing. But he would have to know you. Now, if God's real, does he know us? Yes, but to know someone and then for that someone to participate in a relationship are two really different things. So what I want to do is I want to talk about 
what the perfect marriage would look like. Now, in, in Revelation 20, we see like the absolute, and, and we see this in 19 too, we just see the death of evil. We see that happen. So the wedding takes place, and then we see in Revelation 20 that what happens is that Christ, the Lamb, actually throws the red dragon and the beast into the lake of fire, and it says death and Hades, that, that obviously represent death, which the power of death is something that scares uh, a lot of people, and, and Hades, which would be kind of the holding place. Death and Hades offer up to God all their power, and God just, God eliminates evil and the threat of evil. But what's interesting is this. In the middle of this battle, you find this wedding, this union taking place. In the middle of the battle, you find this beautiful union of God not just accomplishing victory, but saying now is the final time where our commitment to each other is coming together. And here's why it's really hard to have faith for that. Okay? If, if you're someone who lives vulnerably and it's easy for you to open up your heart and all those sorts of things, well, on that side of things, you've probably been hurt because you live in a fallen world. Okay? So if you go, I just kind of like, I wear my emotions on my, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I just open my heart to everybody. Well, then you've probably experienced lots of pain. If you're someone on this side where you say, I know what the world's capable of, I know what people are capable of, and I built walls and I don't let people in. Well, you probably know what it is to be lonely, and it's very hard for you to let people in. And you're doing that as a defense mechanism. As this person is trying to experience acceptance, this person's trying to give acceptance to themselves, but living in isolation. Vulnerability, living in a way that's absolutely um, open to God is really hard for these reasons. This is why. Vulnerability is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed. So you actually have to open your heart to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. In the world, to be vulnerable seems like being a weakness. But if you're talking about a bride and a groom coming together, if they haven't experienced vulnerability together, then they're not, like, they're actually not going to make it, right? If they haven't been vulnerable with each other. So there comes a point where we all have to make a decision. If this is real, if we're moving towards perfect union with God and with his people, do we participate in vulnerability with God now? Or do we hope that there's no marriage later? Right? We would have to answer the question. And what I would say is this, if God is who he says he is, a good, loving father, to open your heart and open yourself up to God is to be vulnerable with the one person who's not going to harm you, he's not going to come and attack you. And the more you start to experience vulnerability with God, the more you actually start to experience depth. So sociologists say there is a direct link between how healthy a relationship is and how vulnerable the two people are with one another. There's a direct link between the two. And you see this in shows like um, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, right? Where um, they have, I don't know how much time, a few months, is that right? They have a few months in order to, like, before they get engaged. And, and in the discussion of, of, like, the interviews and stuff, you'll hear things like maybe the bachelor or bachelorette saying, they haven't opened up to me. I, they're not vulnerable enough. Our relationship's not going fast enough. And the other person goes, yeah, well, I'm, like, I'm, like, so scared, right? I'm so scared, to watch or to, to open up with this person because they're going to hurt me. And what if they don't pick me in the end? 
And like that is the mode of most people and their relationship with each other and with God is it's like, okay, if you don't, then I won't. And then we say, well, if I do, you'll hurt me. If I do open up, you'll hurt me. And that seems to be the model of a lot of people in relationships. And let me, I want to acknowledge something. Relationships, vulnerability in relationships are really, really hard because we've been hurt. Because we've been hurt. But the perfect union will require you to start being vulnerable with Jesus now. See, a lot of times we talk about this life as if this life is the prep period for eternity. And we say, so you better get your act together and you better live right and you better be moral and you better. And I go, wait, wait, wait. If, if we're talking in wedding terms, my relationship with Lisa before we were married wasn't a test of my faithfulness. Our relationship with her was growing in our relationship. It's growing in vulnerability. Faithfulness flows out of that, all that stuff. But it was growing in that. Have you ever stopped to wonder, what if your life here on earth and the time you have should be spent with you opening up more and more to the God of the universe? So that when this time comes, when this day comes, you celebrate. You say hallelujah. It is like the biggest proclamation to your soul and to the world because you go, I've been, I've, I, I've been waiting for this moment because this God that I've loved kind of from a dif- distance is finally here, finally here. What if your life should be spent, not with you trying to be the best you you can be, but with you trying to be more and more vulnerable and open to God? And by the way, when that happens and God proves himself faithful, you will respond with action and faithfulness. But I don't think you can reverse the equation. I don't think you can say, this life is me. I got to be the most moral person I can be. I got to do this. And then stay shut off to God. I don't, I don't think that'll work. That'll cause frustration. And that's what we call religion. And I think that's what Jesus came to change. The relationship. Relationship's most important. Um, let me show you a few things. I have them back here. So if you're on the worship team and you're like, what are these action figures back here? Well... I don't know, there's sermon illustration. Okay, so uh, I have a tub of toys at the house. And my daughters found this tub of toys recently, and they, they like, start playing with them, which makes me really happy because I haven't looked at those in a long time. There's, there's all kinds. And if you know me, yes, there's a good chance there's superhero toys in there. But we, didn't, we intentionally didn't get those toys. So um, I let Piper and Brennan pick. I said, go, go randomly pick five toys, and I'll have a story behind each of them. So there's these toys. These are kangaroos, okay? They're, they're ninja kangaroos. I'll tell you about them in a second. There's this toy. This is ninja turtle. If you don't know what this is, you, you didn't have a childhood. There's this, tur- there's this toy. This is Turok. He's from a video game. And then there's this toy. He's a um, skeleton bad guy. I don't want to geek out, but he's from He-Man, if you know what He-Man is. Okay, so uh, I, I tell you all this to say this. If I were to ask you how valuable do you think these toys are, you'd go... Um, like they're not valuable at all, okay? They're like maybe, I don't know, 10 cents at a yard sale. We're, not gonna, we're doing a yard sale soon. We're not selling these. But if you're like, these are like 10 cents at a yard sale, maybe, and, and you think that because they're just mass-produced and whatever. They're just toys. I also have a, box, or a um, binder of baseball cards. Um, some of you may know who Sammy Sosa is. This is pre-steroids. I got his autograph. And it was, I never went on steroids. He did. But I got his autograph. And, uh, and, and I had, and that binder 
is still at my parents' house. One time they asked me, do you want to take that? And I said, no, no, I don't want the girls messing with it. But if you were to look at that binder and you go, how much are these worth? I mean, they may be worth something. I, maybe. I don't know. But but when you ask me, and I have a whole thing of comic books and all stuff. But if, you, if you've got all that stuff and you go, it's like, it's like junk. It's, you know, it's not in mint condition. My comic books are used and they've been read through numerous times. My baseball cards have been bent because they're in my pocket as a kid. If you, if you, if you asked me how much were those worth, I, uh, or if you asked someone, they'd go, nothing. nothing. They're like bent and ruined. Because that's, that's how the world looks at things. It's like it's got to be in mint condition, preserved, and then the trade-in value is high. No scratches, no bends. No, well, that's not real life. That's not my life. The reason I won't sell these at a yard sale is because I remember these guys are from a movie called Warriors of Virtue, okay? And I remember seeing the movie for the first time and being so excited and working hard for $20 to buy the VHS of the movie Warriors of Virtue, and then it, it came with some toys. And these toys, I remember just like having a relationship with these toys. Like, like, like when I was lonely, little, like friends would call me Tommy because my middle name's Thomas. Little Tommy would be like playing Warriors of Virtue. Okay, I remember that. I remember what it took to get this toy. I remember He-Man. I remember that. I remember defeating this bad guy over and over again when I was playing. I remember that. Because for me, these are worth something, right? For me, they are. Maybe not to you they're worth anything, but to me, they're worth something. But it doesn't matter if it's worth something to you because I'm the owner. I own these toys. And the owner establishes the value of what the thing is. So all my baseball cards, bent, used, whatever, all my comic books, all these things, because I'm the owner, I go, these are really valuable to me. I've had a relationship. These, I've, I've been there. I, these are valuable to me, okay? So they're not for sale. Definitely not for sale for 10 cents, but they're not for sale. Owner always establishes the value. And if God is the owner of all things, if he is, and your life has been like bent, messed up, scratched, whatever, and the whole world goes, you're just one of many. You're like, what kind of value would you have? And by the way, when you still make mistakes, and then the, the world looks and goes, see, like, your value is getting less and less and less. That's because we think those who know us best love us less. That's not the case. Those who love us, the, the God who knows us best loves us most. So if he's the owner and he goes, I, I own, I'm the owner. I'm the one who runs the universe. Okay, if you want to put it that way. I've been there when they went through what they went through. I've been there when the cards were scratched. Okay, I've been there when I've been there for all this. Mint condition is not what God's looking for. In fact, he goes for the opposite. He said, I came for the sick and not the healthy. He's not looking for mint condition. And his value is over you is ultimate value. Okay. So when you're, when you're talking about the, what, what, kind of, what kind of God would this be that I would unite myself to at the end of time? Well, it's the kind of God that would go, I, I've been there for all this. And the whole world can say worthless, worthless, worthless to you. And every relationship you've been in might have said that over you. But they're not the owner of you. They might have acted like they're the owner of you. And they've abused you. And, and in your eyes, they've ruined you. They didn't ruin you. God's, God's the one who runs the show. And God says, I, this is mine. This is my, they're not for sale, right? This is what he established on the cross. The, the, these, these, and, he, and he put himself up and said, give me your best shot to the enemy and took the blow for us because you're not for sale. You're not for sale. You're not a slave to the enemy. 
You're not that. And God's been there, been there, been there, through all of it. If you hear anything that I say, may you hear this. He knows you best and continues to love you most. I have stuffed animals with arms ripped off. I have all kinds of toys that are messed up. And guess what? You still can't buy them at our yard sale. Because I've been there. Like they're part of my story. And if you have breath in your lungs right now, like you're still part of God's story. The story's not over. And if God is truly a good God, and he's the one who created the entire universe, he could have a world without you in it. I want you to think about that. You, he could have a world without you in it. And he doesn't want that world. It's not what he wants. He has absolutely established value over you. And so as you look to the future, it's not just, I mean, there's two sides of it. One side would be, I'm not worthy. I can't even, I, I can't come into union with someone who's that great and loving. And I can't come into union with, and the other side would be, would I even want to come into union? And my hope to you is that you would say, yes, yes, I would. And that you look to God and with all you're going through, with all the trials you go through, with all the mistakes that you've made, that you see him as saying, I value, I value, I value. I value you, I value you, I value you. And the whole world can look in on you and say, you're of no value. You're worthless, you're insecure. And he says, I value you, I value you, I value you. At the end of time, his goal is to be an intimate, vulnerable relationship with you. And by the way, he started the whole vulnerability thing. I don't know how much more vulnerable you can be than hanging on a cross, being abused at the hands of your enemies, bleeding out. I don't know how much more vulnerable you can be than like washing people's feet, washing the foot of someone who's about to betray you. I don't know how much more vulnerable you can be than taking all the divine attributes, what it says in Philippians, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and he set those attributes aside in order to be like us. How much more vulnerable do you think God can be? Have you ever thought, like, how much more vulnerable could God have been to start this whole thing in motion? Not just that he was tempted like you're tempted, but that he died, I mean, he died the death of a criminal. The worst type of death he could have died at the time, he did it to explain to you he loves you, okay? To say, I love it. The vulnerability was at an all-time high. And what we can do in this life to prepare for this wedding, and that's the imagery. I'm not saying you're going to wear a gown, okay? But to prepare for this wedding is to say, I can start participating in vulnerability with God. I can start opening parts of my heart up to God and being vulnerable with him. Um, Lisa, can you come up? We're going to have a time of response. I have a card here. Brooks Robinson. Some of you won't know who Brooks Robinson is. There's a whole story behind why this card is valuable to me. I put it in a, in a case. This, it's not in mint condition. The corners are kind of bent. If 
if you were to ask me, will you tear it up and bend it and all stuff, I'd be like really hard pressed. But I looked at how much this is worth and I think it's actually worth 30 cents, okay? I think it's worth 30 cents. But I just know at what point in my childhood this was given to me and who gave it to me and what they told me when they gave it to me. I just know that. The, the value of this card has nothing to do with what you say it's valued at. The value of the card has everything to do with what I say it's valued at because I own this card. It's my card. If you see yourself as someone who had, does not have value, you, you actually are more aware of your mistakes than everyone else. And then God's more aware of the full you than even you are. And you see yourself as unvaluable because someone's probably said that over you, by the way. They've abused the time you were vulnerable with them. It could be everything from a marriage that's gone wrong to a friendship that's gone wrong to a business deal that's gone wrong to a church that has broken commitments to you. It can be all kinds of things. And in those actions, what you'll hear is that don't open up again, right? And you'll close off. You'll clam up. And I think what would happen is that God would see those creases and those tears, and he just says, I won't exchange you for anybody. <laughs> I, don't, I won't trade you. There's not enough, like there's not rips and tears and also that God, there's not enough of those that God would ever say, uh, you're out. He won't exchange you for anybody. You're still the picture in his wallet. You're still the picture on his desk. You're on his refrigerator if you want to use that imagery. This is God's love for you is greater than any love the best earthly father could have for their son or daughter. It's great. You know who looks forward to the wedding the most is the father. He looks forward to the perfect union that will take place. He's looking forward to it. He's excited about it. This is where, like a bride and groom say, finally face to face, you know, a lot of times in ancient Near Eastern culture, what would happen is the groom would go away to prepare a place. And in order to prepare a place, they would be earning money. They would get the place ready. And the bride would have to wait in anticipation and excitement of, I get to be with this groom when the place is prepared. And then Jesus says this. He says, I'm leaving that I may prepare a place for you and I will be back. And when he's back, that he would say, hey, uh, uh, I, I've been waiting for you. One of the most loving images we could have is that the groom says to us, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. In all your unfaithfulness, I've been faithful. But what that means is that you would need to open your heart to him. You just need to start doing that on a regular basis. So can we stand together? And, um, and we're going to respond. To start to, if you can close your eyes for a second, let's start to think of the hardest area in your heart to be vulnerable. You feel like if I'm open here, I will be attacked. It means you've been attacked before. If I'm open in this area, I will be hurt. It means you've been hurt before. But we're talking marriage, and we're talking weddings, and we're talking all this stuff. We have to start practicing, not for not to be more moral and not to be more upright, but to be more open and vulnerable. 
So let, just think of that area. This is the hardest area for me to open up. The good news is, at the end of time, you're not marrying anybody else, but you're, bringing into, you're getting into perfect union with God. So we can start that now. This is the hardest area. It could be doubts that you have. Listen, I have doubts all the time. Be fears that you have. Maybe God has looked like something else for you in the past. God has looked like a mom or a dad that's abused their power. God has looked like a whole lot of different things that people say in God's name or in God we trust and it's abused you. Here we say Jesus looking God. We want to reframe the way God is for you in the way that God has revealed himself. Jesus looking God. So identify that area. And in your own way, I would encourage you just to ask God, come in this area of my heart. Come in this area. So picture it like this as you have your eyes closed. Imagine your heart is a house and there's one area that's just a total mess. Such pain has been caused there and you've locked that door. And Jesus says, can I come in and I will not hurt you. I'm preparing you to be in perfect union with me. Can I come in? You can say no. You can say yes. So here's how we're going to respond tonight. Are there fears and doubts that you have about God and have you ever expressed those to Him? If the answer is, I have some things and, and I haven't expressed these specific things to Him, I haven't been vulnerable, but well, when we look to the wedding, we say, well, let's start to prepare. It's like you talking to someone that you love on the phone and you go, hey, I got to admit something to you or I just need to talk to you about something. This is hard for me and this relationship's hard because of this. That's going to be one way we respond tonight. So if that's you, in a minute, we're going to ask you to move to the side and, and there's going to be people to pray with you. Maybe another one, there's three total. Maybe another one is, do you struggle with being vulnerable with others in community because you've been hurt? You just go, I, I don't want to open up to anybody. Well, you can start by just saying, will you pray for me? Can you pray for me? I just, can you pray for me? The last one is this, have you been so hurt in the past, it's nearly impossible for you to open up in the present? One day, if you love Jesus, you'll look back and say, I, I kind of remember that, but this is so much better. Chapter one and every chapter after that is so much better. So what we're going to do is we're going to respond in these ways. Fears and doubts about God, you want to you actually open up to him about that? Do you struggle with being vulnerable? And have you been so hurt it's nearly impossible? If any of those are you, we're going to have you move to the side as a way of response and someone from the prayer team will pray with you. Or you can worship in your chair or you can take communion. We have communion in the back. But if you take communion, I want you to do this. This will be unique today. I want you to take communion and to take it by way of saying, I will participate in opening my heart to you because you've sacrificed yourself for me, okay? So let me pray for us and then let's respond. Father, as we some of us move to the side for prayer, it's because we definitely just want to respond. We want other people's help. If we could have changed by ourselves by now, we would have changed by now. We can't do it by ourselves. May the prayers of your people prevail, I pray. And I, I pray, God, as we respond through communion or through worship, just help us to respond by opening up to you. Let us be one more step in opening up to you. So God, I invite you 
into the hardest place and I open myself up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond and then we'll close the service.